Hello and welcome to the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. My name is Dr. Avine Banish and I will be your host. This is the weekly podcast that helps women pause in their busy lives, drop into the heart, and remember their next right step. I am so happy that you're here. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Wholehearted Healer podcast. This week on the podcast, I have a really interesting guest. Her name is Suzette Clough. She has recently celebrated 50 years as an artist. Um, She was originally born in Sydney, Australia. And when she was young there, she trained at the Phyllis Shilito School of Design in Sydney, and then went on to study painting at the Sydney College of Arts. During that time in her life, she experienced crippling anxiety and depression, and she didn't know it then, but those experiences would be the catalyst and later the ground for her work as an artist. She has done amazing things. Um, She went on, moved to London, and studied psychotherapy at the Chiron Center for Body Psychotherapy. In her therapeutic work, she has worked in psychiatric hospitals, running art therapy groups. She has worked as a 12-step addiction counselor, using art making with people with eating disorders. She has also worked at the London Lighthouse, which is a radical hospice for people with HIV and AIDS, along various other healing projects using art and ritual and personal development. She has developed a really amazing process called visual medicine, where she helps people remember and reclaim their own creativity through painting. Um, And her work is prolific and beautiful to just visualize. And so I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, She is talented in so many ways and has such a beautiful understanding of the creative process and spirit. Um, And so without further ado, here is my conversation with artist Suzette Clough. Dr. Evian Banish to another episode of the Wholehearted Healer podcast. This week, I'm excited to talk to Suzette Clough. Suzette is a really beautiful visual, visual artist, um, a psychotherapist, and someone whose work just sort of made me pause. Um, I found her, I believe, through social media. And her work is, uh, there's a depth to it and a beauty that... Um, that is just really stunning. She's been painting, I believe, for over 50 years. And she has this this process called visual medicine. And that made me pause too, just given my history um, with eyes and ophthalmology. And so Suzette, I wanna say welcome. Thank you, Avine. It's really gorgeous to be here. Thank you. And so Suzette, I I really believe that beauty heals us. whether it's seeing something beautiful, in your case, this idea of creating beauty with color. Um, and so can you talk a little bit, perhaps, just to get started about how you found your, your way and your life in painting? Um, I think it's, it's interesting to just kind of look back. Um, I think when I was a 
about 12, um, I had an experience with my first art teacher and she, I'd never painted before and I didn't feel creative, but she made a suggestion that we use wax crayon on watercolor paper and then put a wash of sort of acrylic paint over the top. And in that moment, I had, I think, probably my first spiritual experience. It was as if the wax crayon was coming through the, the paint. And what I sort of both felt and saw was an image that was speaking back to me. And it really was kind of the first moment from that point that I started to have an unfolding understanding that the material world actually had a voice and it had a life and I could connect with it. And so that was really the beginning of my unfolding process. And it, it hasn't been linear at all. I, I sort of look back now and see that that, that was the first moment, but um, I've got lost, very lost along the way. But in the last few decades, I think I've really reconnected to that original experience of painting, actually having a voice and having a voice that wants to speak to me. I love that. And I think so many in our world, creativity is somehow stymied or it's linked to um, productivity or proficiency or being quote unquote good at it. And so I think a lot of people um, sort of silence their creative outlets. And I know part of your life's work is to help people remember their creative self. Could you talk about the the importance of that? Um, I think it's just, I think it's going to save the planet. I think it's um, creativity is a way in which we find our original selves. And I think what I mean by that is that when you um, are working creatively, you have an access to creator energy. And I don't think it's a mistake that the creator is called the creator, because I think that when we actually are in that flow, something else happens and we have an altered experience of connecting with ourselves, but an altered experience of connecting with things outside ourselves. So I don't see the creative process or certainly I don't see mine that way, but I know from working with many other people, but also my experience of other people's creativity is that it's transportive, it's transformative, and it has the capacity to, um, to quite literally take us somewhere else, which allows us to um, find and see and feel other things. Um, and, and I think it plugs us into the creativity that's present in the world. I love that. And one of the quotes that I, that I wrote down you know, you write so beautifully about your work, about creativity in general, but this quote that says spirit loves to be made material, that just sort of made me pause. Um, can you, can you talk about the process in painting of how that happens for you, of how you believe that spirit can be made material through this process? And if you could perhaps even just to backtrack, talk about the process that you use to paint. Yes, I'd love to. 
um, I think that I heard those words when I was um, first beginning to actually find visual medicine. Uh, and I was running a group, um, actually it was an artist way group. And there's, it's very interesting. What I, what I really understood is that when people don't have an embodied experience of being creative, it's very hard to say to someone, be more creative. It, it's, mm-hmm. it just, it, it's an instruction, but it doesn't actually, um, it doesn't help that person to journey into that part of themselves. So I was talking with Mark Bryan, who was actually the co-writer with Julia Cameron, about what I was um, kind of finding as a block in that group. And he just said, why don't you paint with people? And from that point, I started to really share my own creative process. Um, And as I began to sort of teach the protocol, the techniques I had developed for myself, I began to kind of find a language and find a a methodology and a process, which is what I call visual medicine. Um, And it was during that time that I heard those, those words, spirit loves to be made material. And that was the beginning of kind of opening a door, but really a portal into other ways of experiencing the material world, that it's not just a dead, fixed, mechanistic thing that we do things to, but an alive relationship um, that we have access to when we um, encounter, when we, when we come to that relationship openly, lovingly, willing to listen and to bring ourselves to that. And for me, that's what the painting process is. It's, it's, um, and all my work is about finding ways of uh, developing sort of techniques, but really protocols, practices that allow me, but also anybody else to, in a sense, step out of the way and step in to the creative experience. Um, and it's a little bit, um, I'm just thinking of a Donna Haraway quote, that she talks about a word which I think is so beautiful called sympoesis, which is um, different from the opposite, which is autopoesis. And sympoesis is creating with, and autopoesis is creating by yourself. And the way in which I sort of work with people, but also really in sort of relate to creativity as an energy, is that I'm working with a big energy that is bigger than me and I'm having a relationship with it and it's having a relationship with me. And in that relationship, something different can happen, something other, something transformative uh, begins to happen between us. And there's this beautiful video on one of your websites that shows your creative process. And it's this, you're very present with the paints and the colors and your it, I really feel that as if you're working with, it's not like you're um, using a brush and, you know, making this very fine, say, um, scene of fruit or something. It's, it's almost like the color is alive and you're moving with it. Can you just describe the actual process? Um, yeah, I, I, that's absolutely right. What you're saying, it, it's, it's a little bit like um, stepping into, again, that that relationship where the color is not it's you know of course it's it's a you know it's I think it's an energy band and um so in a sense it's a little bit like when you know that 
you can't relate to color as um, flat or, you know, out of a tube. It, it's like, of course, it, it is out of a tube. I mean, I don't make my own paints, but, but that understanding that paint is a frequency and having a relationship with the frequency and the color is the, the I, I think, in some way is the, um, the outcome of that, you know. But so when, when I'm working and um, what I call visual medicine is really a practice of creative mindfulness. It's arriving into a relationship with the paint, the water, the paper, the energy, and it's a practicing of connection and watching and waiting while the paint comes to meet you and you come to meet that. And incredibly what arises out of that are some extraordinary images that I know as a painter, I could not create by myself. I, it, they just wouldn't happen. I don't have the skill alone to do that. Yeah, so it, it sounds like it's a process of surrendering. Yeah, and surrendering with consciousness, and it's not a practice of losing yourself. And for me, that's what I also really love about it. The more I bring myself to the page, the more the page meets me. So it's not a practice of emptying myself. It's not a practice of getting rid of my bad bits. It's a practice of bringing um, as much of myself and you know those who I work with and teach to this relationship, this transformative experience. And there's also a kind of, um, you know, kind of transferable paradigm that when we keep practicing in that way, that's the transformation that we can experience in relationship with ourselves, with the world and with others. That's beautiful. You know, some of your work, um, some of your series you've referred to as maps to the invisible and some of your work is amazing in what emerges um, in this relationship, you know, um, images and beings that show up in, in your, in your work that, like you said, you didn't plan to create them. They just show up on the page. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it's, very moving and um, extraordinary to me. And each time it happens, I'm just, I'm very moved by it. I, I feel um, that series maps to the invisible, but also the whole sort of visual medicine, but my, my actual painting practice as well. It, I feel that what I'm doing is opening a space. It's an invitational space to spirit. And with the maps to the invisible, they're, um, they're works on paper. And again, it's using a, a kind of protocol, which um, in some sense is like taking an imprint from, it, it sounds technical, it's not, it's taking an imprint from a surface and then painting over it. But what happens in that process is that literally maps to invisible landscapes appear, uh, maps to beings that we can't see without the invitation or the material, um, sort of the, the material for them to imprint upon to speak. So in some sense, I see my work a lot about it is opening a space for spirit to actually imprint into. And I, I see that as a kind of um, a creation, David spirit, a kind of oversoul, if you like, but also 
other spirits, um, devas of stones, devas of clouds, devas of trees, and um, and also other personal spirits who kind of land into this fluid materiality. And that's what's so surprising. It's like in the water and the energetic substrate, um, spirit imprints onto the painting. And I'm very present, I'm very there, I'm very myself. And it's it's like, but it's an invitational relationship to um, to both of us to be present to this. And you you shared with me via email this amazing um, work that that hopefully I can share the mother. Could you describe yes. that process and what showed up? Because that's really, I mean, that is amazingly beautiful. And I'll share that um, with those who are listening to this podcast. Yeah, I mean, that, that work um, came through about, I think it was probably about 10 years ago. Um, and what it is, uh, you know, it's, so visual medicine um, I'll, I'll share the video so you can see the practice. But visual medicine is actually dipping paint, sort of watercolour paper into water and then scooping very sort of fluid um, acrylic paint onto a surface. And the images kind of coalesce and form patterns and shapes and often animals and beings and even words arrive. But at one point I was um, peeling a visual medicine painting off um, where it was drying a piece of plastic and on the back that image arrived and when you see the image and understand how it was made it was what it is is a figure of um i i feel she's the origin mother she's um this huge you know kind of um Gaian earth mother who's holding um, a baby in her arms and what you see is in her heart center and her belly it's like through her belly it's like a, na- a picture of the earth's navel connecting to the center of the earth I see it as and her heart is is like um, an opening uh, sort of almost like a, a concentric circle that keeps opening and opening and when I received that image I, I felt at that point, I just felt, you know, you cannot keep denying that something else is happening here. This is not a painting practice. This is a spiritual practice, an invitation to um, to those who are not perhaps, you know, kind of in this dimension, but certainly have a voice interdimensionally. Um, and I had to sort of in some way begin to expand my worldview and begin to include that we live in a world of, you know, with invisible voices and non-human sort of uh, beings who also support us um, from our very ground. And and that's part of my spiritual practice. And and it's also not just, um, it's not just in my own paintings that, creation spirit arrives into each person's paintings um and that's that universality um that we you know you first alluded to that it's not um 
it's not the artist as separate being or the artist as special. It's it's the creation, our ability to create that all humans and all life has. It's not just human life, but we have a particular capacity, which is um, what I feel very called to um, to support, but also speak to um, and invite and train. It's also a trained uh, quality as well. We all have it innately, but the more we train it, the more we practice with it, the more it will speak to us. I love that. And that I, you know, that I, I sense it can come through the written word. It can come through, it, there are so many outlets and ways to be creative and people may be oriented in different ways listening. You know, they may, someone listening may, yes. may see, oh, well, if I really open myself up to the practice of writing um, or the practice of, of either I, my point being, there are so many ways to access this larger than us creative energy. It's as if we have to, if spirit, as you say, loves to be made material, we just have to open ourselves and find an avenue that we resonate with to, to, to do that. Would you say that's true? Yes, I absolutely agree. Um, you know, I think that we can find, I, I think it's also um, at a quantum level. We know that when we hold, you know, that energy travels through matter, you know, energy is, um, you know, is not nothing. And so that when we hold an intention, not, not even, I, I don't even want to literalize it like that, but we know that when things are created, they also have fields of resonance and that can be just an energetic field by what we think or how we are with another person or how we are with ourselves. But it also is certainly true that when we um, are writing in a way that um, allows something else to come through, then that transformation happens. And I'm, you know, I know you have that experience also. um, And I know you have that experience in working with people that something else can arise. and I think that's anything that cultivates that um, and acknowledges that uh, um, is a creative act, you know, in the best possible way. Um, yeah. Beautiful. And, you know, I love how you talked about your story because you're so prolific in your work. Um, but I love how you, you know, in looking back, you remembered that experience when you were 12. And then you also admit you know, I got lost for a while in, in the, the doing and in life. And I know you're a mother. And, and so I think, you know, for any, for, what would your advice be to someone listening who has this remembrance of being a creative being, but maybe feels so shut down or so overwhelmed right now and doesn't know how to find their way back to begin again? Um, I think that you know, one of the things that why I got lost and, you know, some of that is also to do with my own emotional, personal story, but I also think it's cultural um, that we live in a very left brain dominated society, a very mechanistic society that really prizes outcome over process. And I think that I was, what I experienced when I was 12 was I, I couldn't value it. I didn't have, I didn't have 
the people around me. I didn't have, I, I also think culturally, we, we are only just uh, beginning to catch up with the understanding of what right brain intelligence might be, what it might look like. And I think particularly for women, this is true, that I think um, my own judgments against myself were that I was unfocused, um, that I had to have a certain kind of um, genius talent um, and it couldn't come through, you know, I had to be worked through in order to produce good things. Mm-hmm. And I think feminism really helped me, but it, but I think it's only in the last, I think, 20 years that a whole languaging is beginning to kind of burgeon to support our ways of understanding this kind of intelligence. So if I would say when people feel lost, um, you know, kind of find a guide, find someone who can really support you in finding your language and your language system. Um, and in some ways, it's also really inevitable. Being lost is part of our journey. Um, you know, I think, yeah, I, for me, I, I think it's been an incredibly meaningful part of my journey in fact it, you know my book is actually called um sort of I wanted to call it um visual medicine the it's called the art of the unknown but I wanted to call it journey without a map but it it really deals with lostness and I think I have a particular proclivity in being able to work with lostness because I seem to have had a lot of it and I understand it now in relation to having a very um, you know, very deep connection to right brain thinking. And that happens in, you know, deep time, in long time. It it doesn't, you know, it won't give us outcomes or, you know, it's not, it, it's also connected to, you know, kind of deep femininity, you know, or the deep feminine. Yes. We, you know, if we try and impose upon ourselves that extractive consciousness, we're doing the same thing back to ourselves. And for me, that lostness has been one of my deepest inner teachers. So if people are feeling lost, I just say, hi, hi, how are you? You know, I, I'm with you, I see you. Um, and, you know, sort of try and find people, books, podcasts, you know, like this where, um, especially when people are willing to say that they too, you know, have that experience um and it's okay you know it's it's part of our lives and there are a few things that we can do to support ourselves finding a practice even if you know not even if particularly if it's regular um you know things like walking um it's something that really speaks to your heart something that pleases you and brings you joy and pleasure whatever that might be yeah, and that the things we love and that our heart draws us to are not random. No, absolutely. I, I, I think that's that's one of the signs. That's one of the maps that we're using now. You know, that um, what opens us, what you know calls us in desire is um, is part of that language that um, that is part of our map making and tracking what's important. Oh, so, so much richness. Um, 
so so your work is beautiful to create, but it's also just really beautiful to look at. And your your study of color, um, especially my favorite. Well, I have all so many different colors, but colors that I seem to come back to again, again, and again are the blues and the greens. And I love what you wrote here. Hiding within the wild crevices of the natural world is a language longing to share its story. The glint of light on water, the shape of clouds, all the shades of blue that have ever existed are a complex communication system. And so I wonder if when you look at works that have, you've co-created with this larger energy. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about just the beauty of the work once, once the creation, you know, once the paint has dried, um, what do you think that beauty can offer us in this time? Oh, I love that. I, I think, um, I think it's really interesting because I think beauty is a path and I think that also relates to desire um, and that when something speaks to you through beauty, it's speaking of its origins, it's speaking of itself, it's speaking of its essence. Um, So for me, one of the things that's very important in my practice as an artist is not necessarily creating things that um, are traditionally beautiful, although you know, uh, but it's taking, it's, it's kind of my, my trajectory is always to, to try to bring through the essence of what it is that I feel I'm working with. So, um, and it's interesting because one of the things that happens is that, um, I think that my big paintings, which is sort of often like seven foot by five foot. So they're actually very big. Um, and I might remake those paintings 10, 20 times, maybe more even some, over a period of 20 years. And one of the communications I think they're offering me is that the kind of emotional, metaphysical, spiritual work happens over time Mm -hmm. and that energy is real um, and it's like layering energies and iterations of myself and iterations of spirit and material through these works. So the beauty is not, it's, you see one aspect of the beauty, but it's actually embedded and imprinted in the substrate of the material. Um, And that's, that feels like a beautiful kind of inner teaching as well. Um, So, and then there are other paintings that come through, you know, immediately and, and they can never be changed. They're just like, um shouts you know um and sort of in answer to your question i i think beauty is um it won't you know beauty is it's like an extraordinary multifaceted language because it speaks differently to different people and it speaks you know to sort of those colors speak to me they they speak to me of um transformation and soul and I feel like I'm swimming I feel I'm literally diving in those colors um and then I also work with um fire and uh desert colors and and they feel like they speak to some other aspect that feels like um it needs the the black ash of you know being burnt um to feel that transformation 
So um, I think that, you know, beauty is, yeah, a profound and necessary language. And we just look around and we see it everywhere. Um, you know, we see it in the face of our loved one. We see it in the face of, um, you know, we see it when we look deeply at a leaf or it, it's, it's in everything. And that's not an accident. That's the language of this world. Yeah, and you wrote about, <clears throat> I think I read somewhere, this art of slow looking. Yes. Yeah. And with that, I feel your work and your presence are very embodied. So you have, right, sometimes when we when we speak about looking, it, sometimes we can dissociate, but your your process, your work, the way you write about your work is very embodied. And so can you just talk a little bit about um, slow looking? Mm -hmm. um, and it's a way of, again, coming back into the relationship with creation. And I think that, you know, one of the, the, the most oppressive parts of our culture is it is so visually stimulating. We pass very quickly from thing to thing. Absolutely. And it's doing something to our brains. And so some of what my, the, the inner teaching within my, my own practice as an artist has been about slowing that looking down. And when you enter into that relationship of looking at an image that, and I mean, the image can be of anything, but I think particularly the images that come through this way of making, because they're really, they're, they're being made through a very unconscious co-creative means. They're not sort of, they're not images, <clears throat> sorry, that are generated through being done to. They're images that arise in co-relationship. Mm -hmm. So in the looking, that co-relationship also arises. And um, through that, a communication happens. So I, I call it a call and receive pattern. And that call and receive is also um, mirrored in how we talk to babies. It's, it's, you know, how animals talk to each other. It's also, um, you know, it's how the world works. It's how we're in communication with an alive universe. So I, I think it's also related to prayer that when we call, we also become open to receiving. So with the practice of so looking with the images, what I am stepping into and, you know, what I teach um, sort of my students or, you know, open a space to actually open the relationship with the image. And it, it's, I'm very surprised what happens in that experience is that you literally feel the image back to you and it's cellular. And that can only happen when we sort of open the door. Also asking a question seems to be a very important part of that opening the door and then being present to receive the communication. So it's, 
a kind of embodied looking. looking. Mm. And it's very simple um, and very profound. And later, I, I think in our first conversation, I was talking to you about a practice that is related to looking at icons, and it's called Visio Divina. And it's an ancient spiritual practice um, and a way of looking at an icon to, to call the icon's um, person to you. And I, I find that absolutely fascinating because if you understand the context of when icons, you know, were created, you know, it was pre-photos. It was pre the possibility. Nobody had images except the very rich. So looking at human form um, and being able to enter into a conversation you know, was a, an act of reverence, an act of prayer, an act of calling and receiving. Um, and I find I find it really fascinating that um, that idea of slow looking is actually really connected to a much more um, ancient spiritual practice. Yeah, and in this age of scrolling and in visual overwhelm, it's also a radical idea to slow down and see, expand our vision and make it a relationship and see in a different way. So I really think that really resonates. Um, and I see children, you know, when my children were really young, that's a natural part of being human. You know, children before, before they even had much language, you know, that's what they did. That's how they learned about the world and interacted. And so I think that's a really wise practice to, to remind us of. Suzette, I want to say thank you so much for your work and for the way that you create and see the world and the wisdom that you're sharing. I know you're located physically in London. Do you have offerings if someone listening to this podcast wanted to work with you? Is there a way to do that or are most of your trainings in person? Um, I do run workshops in London. Um, mm -hmm. And I also train people to teach visual medicine. Um, and there, I am just in the process of starting a, a kind of mixed online course. Part of it is pre-recorded and the actual sort of um, experience of visual medicine, how to um, use the images is, is actually live because I think that's something that really works best um, in, well, live in person on Zoom. So it's a, it's a kind of hybrid train, a, a hybrid offering, which is how to learn visual medicine. Um, and I also offer creative mentorship and creative sort of coaching um, and really sort of meeting someone where they are and working together to work out what is, is a way of, um, you know, kind of truly working creatively together. Beautiful. And you have a, a gallery show coming up in London. Is that true? I do actually, it's an open studio and I'm showing the work that I've created in the last year or so. And it's called the Art Apothecary. And it's, um, it's the apothecary is a, it's filled with, I mean, I, I love them. They're, um, they're, the maps to the invisible are part of the apothecary. Um, there's also uh, another strand in the apothecary 
apothecary called Codex, which is a homage to the first books. Um, mm-hmm. And they're sort of, they're, you can look on my website and see them. There's another um, section in the apothecary, which is called Visual Prescriptions, which are meditation cards. Um, and the last one is called Lunations, which is much bigger paintings. But they're all in offering to the alchemy of visual healing. They're all using metals um, and colour as a way of taking people into an experience of meeting their own inner healer. Um, And that's, I I sort of see it as a visual medicine chest that you can open these apothecary doors and go, oh, I really want to use my visual prescriptions today and I want to experience those and see where they want to take me. Um, So, yeah, that's opening this weekend in London. Wonderful. Well, I hope someday to visit your studio in person. Um, your work really inspires me, as does just your presence and your and your your energy and your description of your work, which I think is just so beautiful. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I, I was it was really gorgeous. I loved speaking to you, Avina. It was just wonderful. So thank you very much. Thank really. You.